Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. Welcome to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales in the midst of season two. So we're glad to have you back. Must be uh, all those safety tips we've been given, keeping everybody alive and well. Yeah, you got to feed everybody a little bit. Yep. So it's Fred and Dave here with Quantity Safety, uh, both on LinkedIn. I'm QC Safety Fred on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, so definitely reach out to us. Um, however you feel. So today we have a very special episode. We're gonna we're gonna start getting into having some guests on the show. So uh, the first one we're gonna do is uh, Chris Dickey. Uh, he's with Process Marketing Group. Um, they kind of handle Guardian Fall Protection, Bradley Eyewash, National National Marker, which is some signs, Streamlight lighting, flashlights, and and PIP. Yeah, we'll be getting into his story here after a while. Yep. So I guess first I was going to start off before we do the interview. Um, Dave, what do you kind of think as a safety supplier uh, of working with a rep group? How's that kind of advantageous to us? Uh, kind of a rep group, their their job is to kind of fill in some gaps. And as, you know, being the best in class distributor that we are, we feel that we do a really good job. But sometimes the manufacturers don't have uh, kind of a forward-facing sales group to handle maybe a little bit higher technical stuff as it relates to their products and how it relates to markets. So they're, they're trained up specifically on their products. So when you talk about a manufacturer's uh, rep, like we represent fall protection to our customers, they represent a specific brand of fall protection. So even though items may work very closely, so a harness is a harness, but features and benefits uh, that the uh, consumers can enjoy on those items can be a little different. So they add kind of that nuance to get a little bit deeper into the bells and whistles on specific products. Probably a lot of time samples too. They're going to have oh, yeah. 10 different options on a, on a harness where we might have one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, in stock. So they're, they're able to, you know, obviously they're given a whole, you know, plethora of samples to, you know, for everybody to go, you know, into the ice cream shop and, I remember when I was a little kid, the only reason that I ever wanted to go to Baskin Robbins is they had these little pink uh, spoons that they'd kind of just give you just enough to just, just get on your tongue and you you just got a, a taste of it, but you always really felt like you were getting away with something. Kind of laugh at yourself when you, you got your ice cream cone and you you knew you probably got about an extra four grams of ice cream from those little pink spoons. Right. I, th- I think a lot of times that some of like the smaller companies – doesn't make sense for them to have uh, an Iowa rep and an Illinois rep, and so they might have a few people across the country. So they need these rep groups that can yeah, manage hit. multiple brands to be able to spend ten percent of their time on our product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of having a full time person, but it does get does give the give the manufacturers a chance to give uh, field representation all the way down to the the end user, but also. Uh, complement our efforts, help us where we may have gaps. And so that's that's good for someone that works in the industry that might have an issue with their fall protection or with the, shoot, they want to see a couple flashlights. And it's like, who can really show me the differences between flashlights? They're not going to get some guy from California to fly in to talk about flashlights for 20 minutes. Absolutely. But if you're working with maybe a rep group, 
there might be an opportunity for that to actually happen when they're in the area. Yep, absolutely. So, so all right, well, we'll get on to the Dave's interview with Chris. Okay, I'm here this morning with Chris Dickey from Process Marketing Group, PMG. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about what PMG is, because I think a lot of people are kind of maybe they they don't really understand what a manufacturer's rep. So, kind of give me a breakdown on on who you are in this industry. Yeah, hi, Dave. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, Process Marketing Group. We are a manufacturer's rep agency uh, dating back to 2000. So, what we do, we are. Uh, uh, do the consulting training and sales for a number of different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, like what brands do y'all represent? Uh, to name a few, we have Guardian Fall Protection. We have Squencher, so a rehydration product. We have a company uh, called Clean Space that does uh, respiratory um, products. We have some ergonomic companies that we represent, a uh, flashlight lighting company that we represent as well. So a lot of variety um, kind of tailored to that manufacturing and construction companies. Cool. So, you know, if you look back, why did you get into the safety industry? Is there something, you, you got a story about yourself that kind of gives you that passion for safety? Yeah, not, not necessarily like a specific story, but it's one of those things that uh, safety is everywhere. I mean, everybody's talking mm-hmm. about it. It's constantly evolving. Um, so seeing new products come out there to help people, save people's lives, do different things where um, they can get home with their families. I mean, that's, it's, it, I mean why would you not want to do something like that? Or be behind something like that. So um, it's intriguing for me. And that's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things that I, once I got into it and wanted to continue to pursue a career involving safety and safety related products and education. What, you know, tell me about some of the, you know, obviously like us, you're out in the field a lot and you see people doing some stupid things. And, you know, one of the sessions that we have on, on, on this is the dumbass of the week. So, Tell me about some epic fails that you've kind of seen out there in the field. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've seen over the, you know, 12 years I've been involved with this, I've seen everything from people stacking ladders on top of one another. Um, I've seen people handling sharp knives without gloves. Um, I've seen people using overhead cranes without a hard hat. Um, you name it. I mean, we've just seen a ton of stuff out there where people just do things. When you see, when you see people doing those things, what... Is it? Do you think it's ignorance, or I mean, is there a specific reason that you think they end up doing it? it? There's a lot involved, I think, in that. A lot of times, it comes back to a: they got to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, what resources do they have? Maybe they don't have the resources, but they have to get the job done. So that's what we hear a lot when I ask them those types of questions. Dude, that's a, that's an epic truth. Is I think sometimes management pushes for safety, but then drives behavior that drives unsafe practices. No doubt about that. Uh, it's an educational thing. We don't see a lot of the, uh, the educational, the proper training aspects involved with a lot of the companies. Um, they get people that come and go. And so when people show up, uh, things get uh, slid under the rug, and we see a lot of those dumbass of the week. Yeah. No doubt right. about that. Candidates. Yeah, there's, uh, there's unfortunately too many of them. I don't think we can go down the road too far without seeing one. So, you know, in that, uh, you know, some of the lines that you mentioned that you have, I mean, are, are there things? I mean, what's the most exciting thing that you're you're representing right now, from a product standpoint? Yeah, from a product standpoint, we get we get new products uh, from all of my lines, um, regular basis, quarterly things of that nature. But one hot product right now is just our new respirator uh, okay. that we came out with. It's a revolutionary product. Um, been selling overseas in Europe for ten years. Just got released to the United States this past year. Uh, very lightweight, durable. Um, it's exciting. I mean, when you can bring something mm-hmm. to the table that can help. What would the you compare it to? Uh, 
in terms of uh, other products that are you said it's it's kind of a hi- yeah it's kind of like a hybrid PAPR system yeah. okay. um, which I think some people out in the field will understand what that means and what that does yeah um, it's it's uh, you know an improvement on what uh, has been around the market ease of use yeah um, comfort things mm-hmm. of that nature uh, durability mm-hmm. to it so anytime you can come with a new product that's going to help. Um, in the safety industry or help an employee do their job and much safer and protect them, mm-hmm. um, that's key. And so it's fun to kind of kind of run with something like that. Yeah, productivity-wise, what are you seeing on it? Because I've heard some good pot things about that. Yeah, it's it's comfort. I mean, it's uh, it's just a small device that's a uh, half mask right now, what we have through NIOSH um, that's approved. And so it's easy for the uh, consumer to use that. It's allowing them to put it under a, a, a face shield for welding. Mm-hmm. Things of that nature. So just ease of use. It's comforting. Um, they're not sweating as much. They're not uh, perspiring as much. They're not breathing as heavy when they use this product. So productivity is actually increasing based off of the use of this product. Cool. Well, I'm just going to wrap this up, this little corner that we're doing here where we're going to kind of get to know some people that are in and around the industry. And uh, good night. All right. Well, that was a good interview with Chris there. I'll tell you. <laughs> Anyways. Love so, that bald little guy. So uh, let's get on to uh, our, our dumbass of the week this week. It's the dumbass of the week. So I picked, Chris talked a little bit about um, ladders, that, that one of their companies that they deal with um, in regards to ladders. So... I came up with a, a guy named Marshall, and Marshall is a paint, painting contractor. Well, I, Fred Redunzel, went in with this painting contractor, the safety, the safety person of this painting contractor, and what they were doing was they were coating um, some sort of pipe that they were welding on top of. So it was a weld, and they were coating over the top of this pipe. And so at the time, they were having issues with some sort of a chemical was coming off and getting in their hair and in their faces. So they were looking for something, a face shield in combination. Maybe they were doing some grinding on there too, but a face shield in combination with something that would keep whatever this chemical was out of their hair. Well, anyways, that's uh, inconsequential because what they wanted to show me was how they were doing this. And so he, the guy went over and grabbed a milk crate, put the milk crate on the ground, and then grabbed a paint bucket and put the paint bucket on top of the milk crate and then climbed up on there and then was doing his, doing the job. <laughs> and there was a ladder not 10 feet from where he was standing, but the paint can and milk crate was directly next to him. And so, of course, he starts stepping up on top of this thing and the safety director that's right here watching him do this is like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> There's a ladder right, right there. there. Yeah. And so... I think that's a lot of times what just happens is someone's second nature. Well, I mean, it's part of the human condition is the human condition is we're problem solvers. You know, we wake up every morning and our, our thing is we naturally want to uh, make it through a day. So we have a fire flight mechanism. We have the fact that uh, we get hungry. And part of it is when we see an obstacle, our brain immediately tries to... Uh, figure out the easiest way around that. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, the safest way is not always the easiest or quickest method to do that. And, you know, that you know that's where we, 
you know, as well as I do. I mean, classic example you bring up there is literally it was probably just out of eye shot that he had to go get a ladder versus, wait a second, I only got to get up here for a second and buzz, right. buzz this way. I'm not actually going to be doing this job. I'm just going to show this guy right. who's a safety person with another safety person how, how we to, do this how job. How to unsafely do this job and right. then get my ass chewed out. But he's not. That's not the problem that he's trying to solve at that point in time. He's just quickly going. I need the. I need no. That milk crate wasn't quite enough. I'm going to need another two feet. Yep. Perfect. Right. <laughs> this is perfect. So he goes and he's standing right on top of it. So really, all he needed to do was to take a breath, think about how can I do this safely? How can I do this job safely? Because I don't know. Maybe that's how they were doing it. You know, when the safety guy is not around, they could be. He could actually be doing that job with the milk well, crate. Well, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head is most people, if before they would start any task, if they would back up and take literally five seconds because his response to stacking stuff up was just literally his, his uh, the brain quickly solving it by itself versus taking a little bit more of a, how to say, looking at it from a holistic approach of how should I do this safely? And he would have gone, bucket. No, I really shouldn't do that because either one, I don't want the safety director chewing my ass. Right, I don't want to get fired. <laughs> or the fact that he goes, that's not a good idea. We got a ladder. Oh, there's the ladder. But backing off and realistically, you know, we talk about this all the time and we're going to continue to talk about this on episode after episode is – Constantly evaluating your workplace because, you know, for instance, we're talking about a construction site, so everything's not static. It's a dynamic work environment. So tomorrow when he goes there, maybe that bucket and milk crate aren't there. Maybe maybe the the uh, ladder is sitting square dead in front of him and he makes the decision that day. But again, the next day it's going to change. Maybe both of them are gone. So what the hell is he going to try to stand on the next day? Right. Well, if we, again, sit there and evaluate what we're going to do before we do it, and sometimes it's, it's just doing a quick site plan through the day. So if we're going to, uh, basically, it sounds like they were probably cleaning off some welds or whatever before they, they probably had to clean it before they uh, actually put some coating so it adhere. Right. So before they were doing that, you know, they really should have walked around and gone, man, we're going to have to get up there and do that today. So maybe we need some, maybe we need to erect scaffolding. Maybe we need a ladder. Uh, what are we going to have in our hands? Are we going to be able to maintain points of contact to be working off, you know, right. a ladder? I mean, still, you know, depending on what you're doing is he could have still been in compliant or not compliant with a ladder there, depending on what, it, you know, what he's, what he's doing. Right. I mean, again, you know, a ladder requiring that's three points of contact. I think something else we've we've harped on too, kind of as we've done this show, is his buddies. You know, yeah. maybe in this circumstance, the safety guys right there. So they're like, "What is he doing?" But in a lot yeah, of cases, I'll, I'll it, imagine it was like roaches. You know, when you flip on the light, I bet everybody was dive. Everybody was like, "Oh man, you didn't." What yeah. what was uh, Marcus? What was our dumbass? Of the, what was his name? Uh, Marshall. Marshall. Yeah. So. I imagine everybody went, oh, my God, Marshall. And then right about the time he started to take that first step on the bucket, everybody just dove everywhere out of yeah. sight. I want no part of this. <laughs> but, yeah, that's probably something that he would have done that in front of his other five buddies, and maybe they did it yesterday. Maybe we should start that. 
the whole come on man yeah. <laughs> the come on man of safety yeah I like that yeah so maybe somebody this week just just do it and then let us know on uh our on Fred's Twitter handle that you you let somebody know come on man as they were making an unsafe process. <laughs> right stupid thing so all right well let's let's move on I kind of wanted to go over the uh the OSHA's top 10 for 2017 I mean I know we're already pretty deep into quarter one here 2018 but take a look back and see kind of what the top uh the top cited things were for OSHA this year and after doing this for a long time when you look at the list seven or eight about every year uh, there's seven or eight that are constantly about in the same place that they always had which means guess what still work to do still a lot to work to do or we just need to pay a little attention because probably somebody's done something we just we're uh we're not falling we're not falling into uh where we need where we need to be well the first thing you mentioned to me before this episode started is a lot of them are some of them are cited under 1926 and some of them are cited under 1910 so you kind of gave me a brief what the what is the difference between the two yeah so when you uh obviously when osha cites uh, the Code of Federal Register CFR, you'll have 1910, which is the big-ass book of how you do everything in general industry, or at least the rules that if you do this, this is what you kind of got to have. And obviously from there, it may refer to an ANSI standard or uh, you know some other standard for more clarification or what the right products are. But 1910 is kind of the rule book for general industry. 1926 would get into your construction, and there's you know there's other standards out there. All right. Well, number one is fall protection, which is probably number one or number two every single year. Just about, and it's still uh, one of the leading causes of death. So again, when we look at safety. We do have the fact that, you know, unfortunately, if somebody's getting cited, uh, we've made a lot of bad decisions. And the problem is if we've been making a lot of bad decisions, we've probably killed a lot of people or hurt a lot of people, you know, in the process. So fall protection still produces, I believe, just the largest amount of deaths uh, in the United States in, you know, in a work environment. Well, this one says doesn't have deaths, but it's got total violations. We're at 68.87. Yeah, but violation means that somebody reported or a compliance officer walked onto a site and found something that was wrong and then basically uh, cited it. Could be a post-accident site, but still there was a lot of bad things going on, meaning it wasn't just wasn't just uh, how to say it. those citations weren't just where accidents happen it's where they saw bad habits going on but over time some people argue whether it's right or wrong but there's kind of a, a thought process that says you know when you look at a, a death it's so many near misses and so many you know you can you can kind of do a statistical correlation that says we almost killed somebody, you know, a bunch, you know, 10 times. And finally that one time we killed them. So as you, as those trigger events come up, then you're going to get closer. So managing that behavior. Hey, but in 2016, it was at 6906. So we knocked that off by quick math here, 19 violations over the course of. Yeah. 19 (laughs) violations, but over the course of six, almost 7,000. But also, 
I don't think we had as many compliance officers running around policing. Gotcha. So, all right. So that was number one last year as well. So number two, which was also number two last year, is hazard communication. So that's probably having a looks like having a written hazard communication program. It's keeping your copies of your SDS sheets on. Yeah, hand. but I think I think that one uh, probably got its credit or its street cred from being the bad boy from uh, GHS, and GHS is fairly new, so people are still trying to figure some of that stuff out. Well, listen, I mean. Number the number one thing cited was employees employers shall develop implement and maintain at each workplace a written hazard communication program. So that was roughly that was about a third of the of the citations were for that. And I think you get down to safety data sheets, really in like number three and number four, um, and where it's only you know four or five hundred in each one of those. Yeah. So. But that yep, that was number two last year, and it looks like uh, forty six hundred this year, fifty six hundred last year. So must be doing better, or like you said, less people out there slapping yeah. wrists. Yep. So number three, scaffolding, which is also number three last year. Scaffolding is a tough one because there's not a lot of how uh, to say. I don't think that people spend enough time getting people competent on scaffolding, so that the you know, as you're erecting them, making sure they're erected right, making sure that if you have to use fall protection with them, that that's being done correctly. That if they're built over certain heights, making sure that they are uh, tied off to whatever structure, you know, they're they're built around. So maybe it's mixing matches and types of scaffolding. There's there's so many ways from Sunday to get that one wrong. It's 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 not even funny. But uh, I, that that one's that one's a tough one, yeah, and I think it's just because the world needs a whole lot more scaffold training. I know I need more scaffold training. Yeah, I know I hear scaffolding and I run the other direction. I'm almost like, uh, I don't even really. There's lot. Talk there's about lot that. to know. Yeah. So the number one citation: each employee on a scaffold more than ten feet above a lower level shall be protected from falling to that lower level. So I know that fall protection and scaffolding. That's like a big. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Well, and it's a gray area <laughs> because it's not like you have anchor points all over the place. Um, again, you're in that tweener distance. So when I say that tweener distance, you're not 18 and a half foot, so you're not using traditional lanyards. you got to be using SRLs. Uh, then a lot of it's how you even climb and get to you know that level, that 10-foot level. Right. Number four is respiratory protection. And so that... That's not, that was number four last year as well, so I'm sure that's one that never leaves. That's one of those ones that never leaves the list. Yeah. Um, number five, lockout tag. How, how did it break those down? What what's like? What was the number one? Yeah. It was uh, employers shall provide a medical evaluation to determine the employee's ability to use a respirator before the employee is fit tested. That was number one. So. So. There's a lot of people. You just get hired and you start wearing a respirator without well, doing that. Well, we have people all the time coming. Here that won't go, test. they want to have a fit test, and the first thing out of our mouth is, uh, "Did you have your medical evaluation?" Yeah, done? we have because we're we kind of basically the way the standard reads is you're required to have A before B. You can't you can't fit test and then go figure out and just real quick as everybody argues, well, why? Yeah. Well, the reason that there is is because really it's there's two or three things. One is the psychological issue that you have. Some people are claustrophobic. <coughs> 
claustrophobic and the last thing you want to do is have somebody that would have failed the medical evaluation on that for you to put something tight around their face and they lose their shit on you. Right. So you got that and then you got the fact that maybe the guy really doesn't have the pulmonary function to try to do it and you start fit testing him and he kills over and has a heart attack because, you know, he uh, didn't have the, couldn't breathe well enough to be wearing said respirator. Yep. So most of the violations are between that or the second one is having a written program. Yeah. Written and maintaining a written with work site specific procedures. Yeah. Because and making sure it's updated. Yeah. That's updated is the key is most people will write it and then it becomes this document that lives in a filing cabinet yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, let's say they're, ha- you know, in their hazardous communication, they bring a new chemical compound in because the old compound wasn't doing the same thing or the, their supplier sold them something better. And it actually, it actually, uh, um, changes what maybe it changes what kind of respirator cartridge or where they have to wear them or they use it in a new area yeah and that they didn't account for the fact that that dynamically changed everything okay uh number five is lockout tag out looks like number one is procedures shall be developed documented and utilized for the control of potentially hazardous energy that's one that a lot of people don't have a written lockout tag out program no that's out there so that's an easy one probably to walk in the door and be like, hey, where's your written program? Oh, we don't have a written program. All right, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would probably be, you know, if the guy's getting paid per sighting, he, I'd be my first one to ask because yeah. I, I know that people don't have it. Yeah. So that And if sense. they have it, it's probably not, how to say, to the letter specifically right. Yeah. And then it looks like, other than that, it's doing periodic inspections at least annually, which, once again, people aren't updating these programs. No. I mean, every program, every program or anything that you're doing, at least once a year, you should really break that out and get the safety manager, somebody that actually, you know, a worker bee or somebody that actually is, you know. Doing the work. Doing the work and just sit around and go, man, is this really still how we're doing this? Right. Because all of a sudden they're going to go, no, boss, no, we quit doing that five years ago. Right. Oh, okay, maybe we should update that and uh, train y'all because, no, y'all y'all really shouldn't be putting that in your mouth. Right. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Number six was ladders. Um, the number one site was when portable ladders are used for access to an upper landing surface, the ladder side rail shall extend at least three feet above the upper landing surface. To which the ladder is used to gain access. I'm not going to read the rest, but well, you got to be able to step through theoretically step through the ladder, okay, instead of around the ladder. And watch people watch. I mean, it's almost every time you watch somebody, they climb to the top of the ladder and they swing around. Yeah, which is that's not how how to say theoretically you're supposed to do. And there's some aftermarket attachments that people make. I know, like Guardian has one that kind of clips to the top of the ladder so when you put it up there there's handrails that you that kind of come out yeah so fat people like me can actually kind of step through it on onto that next surface and then when you're coming back through I know me I'm I'm not very good at heights I I'm scared I've fallen so my body yeah. has figured out I don't like this yeah. so my un my paranoia kicks in so trying to you know 
you sure you got that ladder? You know, really pushed into it because I'm getting ready to step around this and I'm already nervous as I'm shaking versus actually kind of coming backwards like a, you know, like I'm 90 years old and kind of backing down the steps. Yeah. So you're supposed you're not supposed you're you're not supposed to go around the ladder when you get up to the top of it. I don't even know. So you're supposed to go up and through it. Doesn't that take some flexibility? Mm, or not really. No. Should be able to step right through. I'm trying yeah. to picture myself up on a ladder. Especially getting on, imagine you put one foot on and then your other leg kind of swings around to get on it. Well, that's how most people do it. I mean, yeah. read 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 what it says. You need to exit through it. Right? I think so. I'm trying to think. Un, un, silence, silence. Yeah, silence. anyways, that's good. That's good podcast right there. Yep. Anyways, I'm moving on. Number seven, powered industrial trucks. So it looks like most of that is just making sure that the operator is competent to operate a powered industrial truck safely. Which is basically training. Honk your horn, you know, all the good little stuff. If you got seat belts, making sure they know how to go on and off. Yeah. Dock plates, all kind of. Uh, the second citation is kind of frustrating is that an evaluation of each truck operator's performance shall be conducted at least every three years. Yeah. And that doesn't seem like that's asking a lot. Um, so I suppose it's Dave's been doing this job for the past 20 years. We don't need to test him on. That's a lot of it. It's those mental cues like that. Mm-hmm. Complacency. I've been doing this, man. I know how to do this. I got this. Right. And you will look at the charts and over time, it's not, it's the guy that shows up the first day is scared shitless and that's how he stays alive yeah the guy that gets hurt is the guy that's been doing it over time and it's just no nah, man i got this i'm good plus he's probably developed shortcuts and oh, yeah. little cheats to make his life easier Absolutely. and then all of a sudden you kind of got to refocus those people and be like no 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 you're doing like five cheats here that are all unsafe yeah we really need you to do it this right way so number eight was machine guarding I know we get asked about machine guarding a lot. It doesn't really fit into our personal expertise, but I know that's something that's been a um, a thing that that's OSHA has been hitting on for about five years. It seems shame like. on the manufacturers there, Ugh. because well, I mean, when you these people buy this uh, equipment and then they sent it in and it doesn't have the safeguards, so they're the reason that it's cited so much is they're buying cheap stuff that doesn't have adequate protection or safety devices. On the, on it when they buy it, and you know like uh, a Rockford Systems or somebody, uh, Rockford Systems creates a whole plethora of different items that are you attach after to uh, again safeguard whether it's lathes or saws or you know whatever that is is it's all aftermarket and that should you know I mean it's 2018 when you buy something it shouldn't be oh and by the way. Yeah, you need to go to somebody else and buy all the safety features because we didn't put any of those in there. Right, you wouldn't buy a car without a seatbelt. Right. Number nine is at least a, it may be at least one of those nineteen seventies lap belts. Yeah, well, probably Jay Leno has probably got some cars that oh, he's yeah. bought without seatbelts. My, my first car that I had was a nineteen seventy two AMC Hornet, and AMC is a movie theater to me. I think. No, it was American Motors, and then okay. th- it was the old Jeep. And uh, I remember that there were no seat belts in the back, but it did have lap belts in the front. Okay. So that was uh, that just kind of shows you in my lifetime it's gone from yeah we kind of 
kind of got something here for you. They only had seatbelts in the front, probably because that was the law is that you had to wear a seatbelt in the front. You didn't have to wear one in the back. Yep. But I'm just saying, and I probably, as a kid, was partying in that back of that station wagon because it was a station wagon. We can't even imagine. Like, you look at, like, kids' car seats and stuff, and now they're in, like, a Cadillac buckled in where they can't move. Yeah. And if anything happens, they're good to go, facing rear. Yeah. You know, it's like. Well, the car car manufacturers even integrate all kinds of uh, hooks and fastening systems to where, I mean, mom and and dad are, you know, dead in the front seat, but, you know, the kid's, you know, playing with his his teddy bear in the back seat. But. Yeah. The one that, that we have for, for our son now, I mean, the, the things like, got like seat belt things on it that just connect to the hooks and you put your hand in the seat and you push down on the seat and it click, 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 and it's done. Wow. That's it. It's got two like, I don't even what do you call it, retractable. Yeah. Two retractables that clip into hooks that are built into the seat. Clip. Oh, push it. okay. I've felt those. I, yep. I know what you're talking that's about. That's what that's for. Yep. They clip right in and then yeah. you push on the bottom and the thing's installed safely. Yeah. So... Because I know at one point in time that was a big thing that you know um, fire departments were doing was swing by and let us make sure that you're putting this they stuff still in. Do right? that. Yeah. They still do oh, that. Yeah, they still do that. Fit test for car seats. Because there's less. That's one of the, like we have one that's expensive and we have one that's inexpensive, um, and the inexpensive one doesn't have that feature, so you still have to push it down and then pull on the strap oh, to tighten okay. it up. Gotcha. But the expensive ones are like dummy proof. So gotcha. But number nine here on the list was fall protection training requirements. So I'm not sure why that gets separated into a different category. I guess it's probably a different. Yeah, one's 1926-5 or .501 and one's .503. But that's employers should provide a training program for each employee who might be exposed to fall hazards. So that's more on your fall protection training versus fall protection like general requirements. Uh, and then number 10 was electrical wiring methods. And it looks like a majority of those were a substitute for fixed wiring of a structure, which I'm not exactly sure what all. Looks it like can be extension cords. Okay. Um, like one of the ones I see cited quite a bit is people take an extension cord and take it through a doorway. Big time no-no. Um in construction, you know, if you're using, uh, you need to make sure that you have GFCIs because sometimes, you know, the power that you're getting is not controlled and you're using power tools, which are very susceptible to shock. So a um, lot going on in that one. Yeah, I sat in on a class uh, where they were kind of discussing some of these things. And one of their main ones was sometimes people do something just to get the power back on. That's like a temporary fix, and then it will not be changed until they have another issue. So it's like we need to we need a temp fix because I need that power on to because it's time to make the donuts, and then uh, yeah, you never actually go back and do a more of a permanent fix. So that's the exciting OSHA top ten for this year. So hopefully uh, some of that stuff uh, lessens here in 2018. So anyways, I'll uh, comb through the email box. Again, this week, uh, ask Dave a few questions. And uh, if you do have questions for us, you can reach out. Um, my email is fred at quantitysafety.com. Uh, we have our Facebook page or Twitter page or LinkedIn. Reach out on any of those. We actually have a Twitter page? Yeah, we have a Twitter page. I have a personal Twitter page at QC Safety Fred, and then Quad City Safety has a Twitter page. I've never tweeted. 
tweeted. Tweeted. Twatted, anyways. Go ahead. Um, number one, we have a harness that is fraying around the grommets at the legs. Is that enough to fail an inspection? And can we can we kind of touch on the user's daily inspections of their fall protection? Uh, when we talk about grommets, grommets are going to be uh, used in traditional t- tongue buckle legs, which I'm kind of a huge fan on. Mm-hmm. And the main reason I'm a huge fan on those is because I'm a portly gentleman myself. So if I did not have a belt, I could not keep my pants up. So uh, utilizing that method is you don't have any slip. And not to say that other devices have slip, but sometimes with mating buckles and friction buckles, over time they can kind of loosen. So just to start with, I am a fan of of, uh, of um, your traditional buckles there. But uh, when we talk about the fraying, is basically those grommets when they're put in is, you know, they'll kind of cut a hole and then they have to fix this grommet in. And so part of it, every now and then you'll have a manufacturing process that doesn't get that that grommet for the tongue buckle right so that you'll kind of see some fraying around. And if you're seeing that fraying, then realistically that is a means, I mean, if it's just a little bit, obviously, I wouldn't completely freak out, but if you're starting to get any kind of breakthrough where you can kind of feel that it, the, all the material's not being held by that, yeah. I would I would fail that or take that out of service. Yeah, I had a, saw a picture of one, and I sent it to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer kind of got back with, well, I can see where that would fail. You know, somebody, they went down the checklist, and they were doing it, but they're like, technically we still see that as good and able to put into service but it wasn't like crazy fraying but there was definitely fraying around that grommet mm-hmm. so i i think that's one well, that kind of gets into a little well, bit of a gray you, area when you're talking about inspections it's all subjective yeah so it depends on what somebody's looking for and how hard they want to police it i mean so i can inspect something and fail it but somebody else might inspect it and pass it right so it's not it's not a it's not a perfect science, but in all means we're trying to look for imperfections to you know to, for things that won't work. Right. So when we're working through it, is if I see something that I go, I think that that may, you know, like for instance, one of the classic examples that I'll fail uh, a harness on an inspection that is tongue buckle where the grommet is almost falling through, and the guy goes, "Why are you failing that?" I go, because of this. And he goes, well, I don't use that grommet. I use the one higher. And it's like, I can't evaluate it from the standpoint that just you wear it. I have to evaluate it from the format that anybody can put this on in any configuration and and it be able to work. All right. Number two, what characteristics of an eyeglass make it anti-fog? Even ones that are labeled anti-fog seem to fog up for us. That's real. And the reason that it's real is let's dive into 1990-ish. So I thought you were about to list off a standard. I was like, oh god, he's trying to find 1916 point. No, 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 no. So you go back to you go back to the the 90s and all of a sudden uh, right around the late 80s, early 90s, you started 
started to see the offshore safety glasses to where they were becoming a made-in-China item. Well, the whole thing was the Gen 1 of anti-fog was a spray treatment, and it was sprayed on the outside of the glass. The problem is over time, it dissipated. So the chemical that they would put on there would only have... I'm not going to be quoted on this, but let's say let's say it was a a one year shelf life that it had that anti fog capability. Yeah, and it wasn't a real good capability, but it was better than nothing. And so, all of a sudden, you blast forward to the '90s, and we start offshoring, and somebody in China sprays this coating on the glass, and then they put it into their warehouse, and they wait for somebody from America to order it, and then they. They take it out to the dock, and it sits there for another month, and then they put it on a boat, and it sits there for another month, and then the longshoresmen go on strike, and it sits on the boat for another month after that. And finally, but long story short was all of a sudden, by the time I got it into my warehouse and I shipped it to a customer, we had this long period of time, and the whole time is this anti-fog glass that this customer was getting ready to buy was buying something that the shelf life of the, the coating was almost gone. So it was uncommon for it was common for there to be like no anti fog or limited, not you know, not as good as a good fresh sprayed anti fog yeah. glass. Um, then you blast forward to now. Now you have uh, wipes that are nanotechnologies that are hydrophobic nanotechnologies. You have ones that are impregnated into the glass. Heck, we even have. For instance, uh, 3M's putting Scotchgard into to, uh, lens configurations. So there's a lot of technologies that's that's out there bouncing around. But isn't there also something that your face? Sweating? Well, yeah. There's there when you talk about why is something fogging, right. then it becomes there's a whole different thing. Is am I in a high humid area? Am I working hard so I'm creating an atmosphere around myself that is that humid area? Am I a person that's going from hot to cold or cold to hot? So there's a lot of different ways that, that you can create a fogging situation. Right. And a lot of times there's not like a perfect recipe for those. Yeah. So, you know, for instance, you know, we've had customers that will use uh, like Pyram- Pyramex has an iForce, which is a dual lens technology. And that one did really good in going from hot to cold and cold to hot. And we're seeing that in construction environments. But uh, other other ones might not do or perform as well. Right. So a lot of times in some of the, like a lot of these safety items, you get what you pay for a little bit. So just because a dollar, there's a dollar 25 pair of glasses that says not anti-fog. And then you're like, but if you spend 160, you get the anti-fog. Like yeah. that 35 cents probably isn't getting you anti-fog for like every single environment. Yeah, it's not, good. it's not good. It's not good. It's a killer. It's it's just getting you uh, getting you some level of anti fog. Yeah. Okay. So the third question I got um, is one that that we walked into a little bit. So, are we supposed to wear our safety harnesses under or over a winter coat? So we wrote a a, a blog post on Safepedia, uh, really in the last month or so. By the time this comes out, it might be a couple months, but on the topic that. We don't believe, and it sounds like we've got a lot of people that agree with us that you should wear it over. Oh, we've got coat. a lot of people that agree with us, but you know, 
again, it's our position versus somebody else's position. And, you know, so I guess the argument being is how many of your workers are actually wearing their harness the way they should today? And if everybody's true to themselves, they're going to find that very few people are actually wearing the harness the correct way. Yeah. Which when we tighten those leg straps, we should be able to get a couple fingers in there. It should be extremely tight. Um, and, and the same, yeah, right on. And then when we talk about that, uh, that chest strap, we should be able to roll our fist in. So think about how tight that is and how tight that needs to be. Over jeans and just a T-shirt, that, that's pretty hard to get in there and get right. And the reason that needs to be done is if we're in a fall, that system or that harness is made to distribute those fall arresting forces throughout the body and put a lot of it into the torso. So if we have slack there, we create a shock yeah. or we're putting an, a, a very high level of shock in a very specific place that just happens to be where, when we are talking about orthostatic intolerance, where our, uh, um, that's, how to say, there's a huge artery there, the femoral artery that we're putting a significant amount of shock to. And suspension trauma is the, the code word for there. So as we're hanging, you know, we're clotting and we're dying hanging there. Yeah. So if I've got my, if I'm wearing Carhartts and I'm in the middle of uh, North Dakota and I'm going to put my harness in on over my, my coveralls, I just personally and talk to a lot of people that don't believe that, that that's going to, uh, you're not going to get it put on right. right. So when you do fall, then you've got that, you've got that chance for the orthostatic intolerance. So while some of the stuff that's bouncing around there, there's no, there's no, whether it's ANSI or OSHA, nobody comes out and says, ye shall do it this way. Right. And so my position is to say people that wear it over the top, I think, are wrong. And just because their people won't adjust the harness uh, correctly. Right. And, and I mean, that's probably mostly as a best practice because mm -hmm. there's no written standard for it. So no. like... When we got some feedback from a manufacturer that, or someone got in touch with one of the manufacturers and they were saying, well, they tested it over the top of a harness and they tested it, or over the top of a coat and they tested it underneath the coat on a dummy and they did the drop test and they both performed the same. Well, kind of what you're saying is humans aren't dummies. And yeah. So you can pull something pretty tight on a dummy, and he's not going to say a peep. Yeah, he's not saying shit. No, not so, at but all. You put it on a homie <laughs> that's out that's out there in the field, and he like. Well, you take a little portly guy like me, and by the time I I get my coveralls on, yeah, it's gonna be so tight against you. You're not gonna. No, wear it I'm that gonna way. buy them a little bit bigger. Yep. Okay, and then you tell me I've got I got to get this harness to where I can get two fingers in there. First of all, I'm gonna have to pull my coveralls up into my butt crack. You know, so I'm going to have them up, and then I'm going to be – I'm probably going to need you to – Hey, Fred, can you come over here and pull this I need a pull cause, guy. Because I can't do this by myself. That Nobody's going to do that. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, oh, well. So it's pretty much our, our recommendation that we do have a lot of manufacturers and industry experts that agree with us on the topic. So speaking of pullback, did you ever see – have you seen kind of the trend in college football where they have a holdback guy? 
where like the coach will start getting a little bit too <laughs> yeah, much on the field. Yeah, yeah. And some like the strength coach or something will be like back behind him and gra- like holding onto his pants <laughs> so he doesn't get too far on the field and get a penalty. Yeah, I have seen that. I started seeing that like more and more. And so you gotta hire your own holdback guy. Yeah, uh, old Fran needs to get him on for basketball. He does. Yeah, he's been kind of dancing out there yeah. a lot lately. He likes to get involved. So, um, other thing I had on my list here to talk about today was human Uber. I saw, I read an article today, and I read this, that. In the, read that in the notes, and you got me. You got this me, is so. this is happening in Japan. A human Uber, so you can hire somebody basically to strap an iPad to their head. So they strap an iPad up on their head so that your face is facing, you're talking into the iPad on like FaceTime, so your face is on their face, and then you can send them somewhere for you. So like you have like, there's like a wedding you're not going to be able to make it to, you hire this human Uber, he straps the iPad to your face, you're sitting at home on your couch, everyone gets to see your face on his face at the wedding, like talking to different people. So did you see, did it look spooky? Yeah, it looked really (laughs) stupid, yeah. So how does the person see that's got an iPad on their face? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not exactly positive on how that works out. Okay. But <laughs> I was thinking, in safety, imagine you're a safety director. And you're like, I can't get to all my job sites. So I have one of the dudes strap an iPad to his face and go walk around and see what everybody's doing. He can get a watch on five different job sites in a day if he hires the human Uber. The human Uber safety director. Yep. We should so, probably go ahead and trademark Start bringing that over to the United States. Because, yeah. I mean... I could have told you this story about the human Uber and then been like, hey, where do you bet that's coming from? And nine out of ten times, you'd be like, yeah, that's got to be in Japan. It's got to be. There's no other There's no other place. Nobody else would do that. Nope. So, all right, that's all I got for today. Time to get going. I uh, hope you like the show and hope you got some, like, negative value out of it, out of all our bullshit that we're talking. Um, if you have a good time um, and want more, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. You'll never miss an episode. Next week we'll be back, and we hope you'll be back too. We appreciate you joining us, guys, as we kind of try to figure this all out one one grain of sand at a time. Yep, so thanks for listening. One of the best parts of doing the podcast is hearing what you all have to say. So whether it's good or bad, um, we'd really love to hear your comments. Uh, If you have any questions, we'd love to answer them on the show. You can always jump into the social media conversations, Quad City Safety, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Safety has no quitting time. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety. Hashtag Safety Tales. Or email them to Fred at quadcitysafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.